Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Emily. Good, good start uh, to that time of worship that we uh, do together in that way. And now uh, we get to continue as we head into God's Word. So please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we'll be looking at verses, well, parts of verses 20 and 21. Uh, this morning we've been working our way through this section where, where, where Paul is really helping us to, to grasp how do we live this life in Christ We've come, and, and as he emphasized for, for all these chapters prior, that coming into a relationship with Christ, being saved from your sin, having new life in him, only comes because it's a gift from him. You can't earn it. Nothing you do gets you that relationship. You have to just trust and trust yourself, trust in Jesus to have your sins forgiven and to be given that gift of eternal life. And so therefore, we're, we're not under the Old Testament law. That's not how we live. That's not how we come into a relationship with God. Never has been the way anyone's come into a relationship with God. It's always been by entrusting yourself to Him. But that raises the question, then how do we live? If, if there's not a law, we can just follow the law and know what the law says. How do we live? How do we go about this life? And so Paul has been answering that question for us here in chapter 5. And really the, the answer he comes down to is, you walk by the Spirit. And we've talked about how that means. If we're going to walk by the Spirit, we have to know Him. We have to know God, right? How do we know God? Well, we saturate ourselves with his word that the Holy Spirit inspired and preserved and gave to us. There he's, he's speaking to us about everything we need for life and godliness. He's speaking to us about this new life that we have. And so as we walk directed by the Spirit, praying and asking God to, to direct us, it's not a matter of, here's the rules that you have to keep, but here's a relationship that I have that shapes all that I, I do because of who I now am in Christ. And we also have seen earlier in this chapter that it's walking as, and even earlier in the book, that it's, it means walking as sons with a father. And so it's not a matter of, you know, someone standing above us with a stick, but in fact it's a, it's a, a loving walk with a Father who has made us heirs, has, has welcomed us in to all that is His and His plans and purposes. And so as we walk along, we, we, we get, we begin to see what His plans and purposes are all about, and we order our lives, we join Him in what He's doing. And we find that in His Word, and as we walk and we, we, we do the things that He is doing, of course, in that, we don't give a base of operations for our flesh, those old patterns of sin that we used to have, right? We want to leave those behind. Those don't fit in with our, our Savior, don't fit in with our Father that we're walking with, don't fit in with the Holy Spirit that dwells in us in perfect holiness. When, when we go along with those patterns of sin that we've had in our life, we're, we're, we're separating ourselves from Him. 
We're making that walk with him harder. And so he calls on us to walk by the Spirit, walk in relationship with him. And as chapter, as, as Galatians 5.13 talked about, really the heart of it is, through love serve one another. If we're walking by the Spirit, through love we will find ourselves serving each other. That's a great question to ask about any area of life, whether I'm walking by the Spirit. Well, through love, am I serving? Or you could even translate that word serving, being the slave of the others in my body, the others in my family, the others in my life. That's a, that's a, a sure sign that you are walking by the Spirit. Now, on the other hand, Paul gives us this list in verses 20 and 21 well, 19 through 21, actually, of, of things he calls the deeds of the flesh. And this is, this is a way to say, well, here, here's what you don't want your life to be, look, be looking like. Here's what shouldn't be flowing out of you now that you are in Christ. Not the old patterns of how do I get what I want and how do I avoid what I don't want that we did sinfully. We want to get rid of those so that we can see the things that God's going to produce in us. That's where we're headed, the fruit of the Spirit, the things that it brings about in our life. So we've spent, this is our third week on the bad side of this. Don't despair. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is coming. But he gives us these, and we've looked at some of these. We've looked at, at you know, sexual sins, that are deeds of the flesh, are selfishly motivated, that are, that are, are destructive to us and to others. Uh, we've seen... You know, things, things that where we're seeking power from other sources, idolatry, sorcery. We go to other sources trying to, to gain that power, trying to, to say, oh, well, this is something I, I devote my life to it, and it will give me what I want. Okay? Uh, whether that's actually people bowing down to a chunk of wood or stone or metal, or we just devote ourselves to things that don't, aren't, aren't related to God. They aren't God. That becomes an idol. That's where we're trying to get our power from. That's an idol. We're willing to sin in order to get that power. It's an idol. And now he's going to get into the largest section. All of the words in this, this section we're going to look at today, down through envying. So we start in, uh, with, with enmities or, or hatred. And down through most of the words in this list have to do with relationship damaging works or deeds. Apparently that's pretty important to God, right? He points out, he says, if you want to look in, look in my mirror, you could say, and see what's in your life that needs to be changed, that doesn't go along with who you've become, that fits the old person you used to be and the patterns of sin that used to be in your life, a lot of them you're going to find in your relationships with other people. So take a look. Are you walking according to the deeds of the flesh? Look at your relationships. Those ingrained sinful habits, they damage, they destroy our relationships with others. And God cares about that. Remember, that mark, are we through love, serving one another? Oh, back to relationships again, right? So let me just give some brief uh, explanations or, or uh, definitions, you could say, of, of these words that related to relationships as we start out here in uh, the, third, the third term in verse 20. 
uh, in the New American Standard that I'm reading out of, uh, it says enmities. Uh, your Bible might say hatred or hostility. Uh, the word is in the plural, you know, as enmities is here. And so it's, it's not just individual hatred, but it's hateful attitudes. In essence, you could say it's the opposite of love. And, and how easy is it for us to hear, I hate in this world. I hate this person, that person, that group of people. Paul says that is a work of our sinful flesh. Patterns of life that don't have to do with the new life in Christ. Uh, the next one in the New American Standard is strife. If you have King James, it's variance. Uh, other translations are discord, quarreling. Um, I just say bickering and fighting. You know, if you're not familiar with this one, just go online, read comments about anything, and it comes out. It's there, isn't it, right? In our flesh. Just, we we got to fight with other people. We got to pick them apart. We got we to have an argument. Read the letters to the editor in, in the newspaper if, you don't, if you're not online. And you'll find that back and forth, right? How often are these letters going back and forth and bickering and fighting? If you don't see it there, well, go into the living rooms, the dining rooms, the kitchens of any home. It's going to be there, right? Uh, where we live the closest is where this deed of the flesh comes out, where our selfish desires, we have the lowest guard against them sometimes, right? Sadly, with the people that we're closest to. Go into the back rooms of businesses, not out front where you're putting on a good, good, good front, you know, but in the back rooms, in the, in the break rooms. You know, it's, it's just a part of our old nature, of our old patterns of doing things to try to get what we want by, by bickering and arguing and fighting. Uh, the next one in the list, most translations have jealousy, although King James has emulations. Um, one one uh, paraphrase has cutthroat competition for that one which I think is kind of interesting in the sense that, that jealousy, you know, it's, it, it has the idea of a zeal for keeping what I perceive is mine. And you can think of an overly competitive spirit being that way, right? You're not going to take my victory. You're not going to get there before me. You're not going to have more than I do. That's mine to have. But keeping what I perceive as mine, it can, it can in include attention or affection from others. And there are a few times where that's a godly thing, right? A husband can have a godly jealousy for his wife. Her affections in that relationship should only go toward him in that way. But we slide into sinful jealousy so quickly, even in a marriage relationship. There can be sinful jealousy, or in friendships, or in attention from whoever, right? It's our, our flesh, our old sinful patterns, rising up and saying, here's how I get what I want. It can be our possessions, the things we have. We hold on too tightly. Those are mine. You can't have them. The title or the perception of being the, the best at something. Again, that's that same idea. 
And so it's not about holding those things loosely as gifts from God, but seeking to control them with my own power. I will keep these for myself, whether they be physical or whether they be not be quite, quite so concrete, but more abstract things. Those flow out of a heart of jealousy. Next on the list is outbursts of anger. And your translation may say wrath or fits of anger, fits of rage. And this is the, this, that sudden explosive kind of anger. Uh, we, we have lots of euphemisms for, you know, biting someone's head off, chewing someone out, go off, going off on someone. Uh, the flesh admits no faults and seeks to dominate all objections or obstacles. And so often it shows itself by sudden outbursts of anger. I'll just overcome you with my yell, with my look, with my manner. As we're looking in the mirror and say, is that characteristic of me? Well, it says that's of the flesh. It's not being led by the Spirit. So when we see that in ourselves, we have to stop and say, oh. Maybe I need to be led by the Spirit instead. The next word in the New American Standard is disputes. And your translation may say rivalries or strife or selfish ambition. Selfish ambition one is good in that it gets another part of this idea that um, we've already had a word related to fighting, but this particularly emphasizes that idea of the selfish attitude of it. But it also has in it the idea of seeking to win followers after yourself or, or making parties or, or groups of people that then you can pit the people that you gather around you and, and you pit them against the people who see things differently than you. It's especially the case if they're keeping you from doing what you want, right? And we can do it with very good-sounding things, like my doctrinal position on a certain thing. I can get, gather around me the people who think like me. My preferences, you know, the color of the carpet, that's the, you know, the classic <laughs> church one, right? The music, I gather people around me. Like, whatever the issue, it means gathering people around you so that you can get your way, so that you can protect yourself against your perceived threat. Then we have dissensions and factions. And I just I lumped those two together simply because these words just have, have slight different shades of meaning related to the idea of disputes and breaking people into groups and divisions. The flesh is willing to divide and start quarrels on so many things. The things... Divided over might be, like I said, doctrinal or preferences or perceived offenses, shades of meaning, or culture, appearances, all those kinds of things we can divide over. And Paul's saying, hold this mirror up. Are you eager to divide? Are you eager to fight? Are you eager to start a debate? Probably of the flesh. Our unity in Christ is, is the target of our sinful patterns of desire because it in, because our, our, our walk with Christ involves sacrifice, giving, and change in order to experience it at its best. 
So our flesh has got to be laid low, doesn't it? If we're going to experience life that God has for us at its best, all the things that the flesh loves to do get targeted, have to be set aside. All those things that God wants for us disrupt the flesh. And then finally, moving then down into verse 21, envying. And this is the other side of jealousy. Jealousy wants to hold on to what is mine and guard it, or what I perceive as mine and guard it. Uh, Envy sees what you have and wants it. And is upset that what you have isn't mine. So when I envy, I see what someone else has. I want it for myself. I don't rejoice with someone else when they gain something good but I'm displeased that they have it, and I don't. And I think I ought to. Okay? So you can see where, where jealousy and envy are very closely related, and we usually see them mentioned near each other. Maybe Paul separated them here so we'd get those distinctions. But we ought to be able to rejoice in others' good things, right? Even people we don't like, even other Sports teams when they win, right? We can, we can rejoice in the good that others have. And so that, there's the list. But it, it has a lot to do with conflict, doesn't it? One of those things we think we try to avoid, and yet it's, if we aren't walking by the Spirit, in essence, we're contributing to conflict in our lives all the time. But there is a legitimate reason, there are legitimate reasons to be in conflict that take part when that we take part of when we're walking by the spirit you know there are times when conflict comes to us you know jesus said in this world you will have tribulation he said if they hated me they will hate you also and so we have to deal with that conflict that comes to us that is brought to us simply because we are his the world will bring the conflict to us There are times when we need to love others and therefore bring things into their lives they don't want, even though it's what's best for them. So there is a legitimate time to be in conflict in this world because it's a sinful world. But when do we cross the line and live according to the flesh? So easy when we're in conflict, isn't it? Might even start out doing real well. Pretty soon, we slide off into those ruts, right? Here's, the, here's what I do when I get into conflict. Here's where I go. Here's my go-to position. The thing that works for me. Well, let's use these, these words as a mirror. I've, I've come up with a few, few questions, maybe, to help prime the pump. Don't think what I've, the things I'm going to share next are, by any means, the end of how we can use these, these uh, deeds of the Spirit or the deeds of the spirit, deeds of the flesh. You get the opposite, uh, the deeds of the flesh that we want to get rid of. Think of it though as, as you know, maybe you stood before the mirror this morning before you came, and you know you're coming to honor the Lord, so you wanted to look good, right? So you checked your hair. Hopefully, you checked. You know, is your collar turned up? Are the wrinkles in your clothes? You know, are you know things not quite right? And then you could say, oh well, I don't want that. I want to change it. And in a sense, that's what this, these deeds of the flesh do for us. Look for this, look for this, look for this. And then walk by the Spirit so that you aren't fulfilling the deeds of the flesh, as he said back in verse 18. And a place to start is within, right? 
your motivations. Why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, and here this relates to the idea of conflict. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. And, and this is in, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is really going beyond the law and he's saying, now take it, take it further than the law, get it to the heart of what causes you to break the law. And, and here he says in verse 21, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder will be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Get the serious nature of where our thoughts are. And when we're in conflict, if we bring those enmities, that hatred against people, into our interactions with them. And so come back and... and Ask yourself, what's my motivation for speaking this way to another person? Is it really that I could, through love, serve them? Is it really because I want what's ultimately best for them? Or is there murder in my heart? You know, I, I, as far as I know, none of you have physically murdered anyone. But probably you've done a few homicides in your heart, right? There's that, that attitude of hatred, which is at the root of murder. And if it's allowed to grow into its full, full plant and fruit, it's murder. And so that we hold this up and say, well, what, what's my motivation for saying what I say? Well, that's when we need to, to go to Psalm 139, 23 and 24 and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me Lead me in the way everlasting. Right? Because, frankly, our motives are often hidden from ourselves. I'm, I'm always doing things right in my own eyes, right? At least at first. But if I'm willing to open myself up to the Holy Spirit and say, show me, be ready, because he will. If I'm willing to go to his word and allow it to pierce to the, to the depth of who I am, right? Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is what? Living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So I've got to be willing using this mirror. Okay, Lord, I'm going into your Word. Use it to, to get right down to the nitty-gritty, to the in-between of my thoughts, my intentions, what I think I'm doing, what I want people to see me doing, and what's really down in here? What are my motives? Am I, in fact, being hateful? Am I being argumentative? Am I being overly competitive? Am I selfish? Let your word do its work. There's a sense in which that's pretty frightening, isn't it? And yet, so good for us, and so helpful and productive in, in how we live. Another question to ask ourselves as we look in this mirror is, is my method controlling? And the things I do is the way I go about it, am, am I somehow trying to control what other people do? 
So much of our fleshly actions are in reality attempts to control things in sinful ways. They're not trusting that God has control and has what is ultimately best in mind. And so I do things that nudge people the way I want them to go, that frighten them into going and doing what I want them to do, or that frighten them into to keep, to keep them from doing what I don't want them to do, right? Am I trying to play God in my conflicts with people in order to get them to do what I want them to do? Am I content with what God has allowed to come into my life, knowing that he will use it for my good and his glory? Or am I angry that it has disrupted my idea of what life should be? I try to control things if I'm angry about what he's brought into my life. And along with that, you could say, you know, he said uh, fits of anger in there, right? Or wrath. Is my anger destructive? When I become angry, Paul specific, specifically mentions outbursts of anger in this list, right? And it's not the, that other kinds of anger aren't deeds of the flesh. You know, this is just a, some of the things that are deeds of the flesh. But there is something especially destructive about shouting, about rage, about an, an anger that tries to overwhelm those that it's against. When you have outbursts of anger, do you see the countenance of those who are on the receiving end of your outbursts fall? Can you see, that, see it in their face? Do you see people withdrawing from you because of those outbursts of anger? Do you sometimes like the feeling of power that it seems to give you when you have an outburst of anger? Watch out. Watch out. The flesh is busy. That's characteristic of the flesh, not characteristic of walking by the Spirit. Another question would be, am I preserving the unity of the Spirit? Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. The first three verses, uh, Paul has in the first three chapters laid out what it means to have entrusted yourself to Christ, to be in Christ, as he puts it in that book so often. And then as he, uh, as he turns to the more practical, how does this work out in my life, he says, there for I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent, in other words, working hard at it, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because all believers are are. In Christ, they are also united to one another. We have unity in the Spirit. What Paul calls us to do is to preserve that in practice in our relationships, to preserve that in our day-to-day -day living. And so we need to ask these, these questions that have to do about relationship. Am I working hard, being diligent to preserve that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? We're breaking into parties, into groups within the church. 
over minor doctrinal differences, over unimportant lifestyle choices, over kinds of work that we do for a living, over name the many different things we might divide ourselves up over. We're, we're not preserving the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. In fact, we begin working against what we've been given. We're not walking by the Spirit when that happens. And finally, just bring it back around to that question we found in Galatians 5.13. Not giving a place or a foothold for the flesh to work, but am I, through love, serving those who are in the conflict with me? Oh, that's a hard one to ask, isn't it? Am I serving the person that I'm trying to defeat through love? Am I serving the person I'm trying to prove wrong through love? If I'm not, I'm giving the flesh a place to get a start in my life, in my patterns of life. Because love is seeking what is ultimately best for others. Sometimes it means I have to let go then of unimportant preferences or comforts for the moment that I cherish. Sometimes it means firmly refusing to change or yield in a conflict for the good of the one that I'm in conflict with. There's times you just have to stand firm for the sake of the other person. It might mean holding firm for the good of those who might be harmed by the person I'm in conflict with. I may be protecting. It may mean humbly defending the truth while seeking the revelation of fleshly acts or motives in those who are involved. But godly conflict can be a great opportunity, but, but it must be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That's why you need to be back next week and, and however long it takes us to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Because it's not enough to just say, no more flesh. No, you have to have the fruit of the Spirit then growing up and replacing those deeds of the flesh. But there's one more section I want us to cover quickly here in the deeds of the flesh. Uh, at the, there in, in, back in, in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, two more things that are, are mentioned that, are, that have about yielding our control to the wrong place, the wrong thing. And it's drunkenness and carousing. And the best place in the, in the walk with, the, with, the, with Jesus by the Spirit is to be fully surrendered to his will and to the heart of God. But the flesh would rather you yield control to other things. And Paul specifically here mentions drunkenness, where you yield control to drugs, but I think this would also apply to other, or I'm sorry, to alcohol, but also to apply to other drugs, other controlling substances, and also, please note, other practices that would control you. And I think there are things that we do that just draw us in and take us over. I think many of those we can see today that are connected to our time we spend on social media, the time we spend in games, the time we spend in entertainment that just pulls us in and we give ourselves over to it because when I'm doing that, I'm not with my problems. When I'm doing that, 
my fears kind of fall to the background. Right? So the same thing we do with alcohol, we can do with any other kind of drug or also some practices that just totally pull us in and take us over. So it could be something that numbs you. It could be something that gives you a feeling of euphoria. We give ourselves over those things in order to get away from the reality of things that we don't want in our lives or things that we think give us the courage to do what we want to do. Carousing is, is really the outcome of, of the drunkenness. It's the accompanying lack of self-control that comes with, with yielding yourself to something else like that. Um, this can connect to all the other deeds of the flesh. That, that they can come in. You can end up a sexual sin because you've let down your guard. You know, you, you've, 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 got, you've let the alcohol bring down your inhibitions, your self-control, or one of those other things. And you find yourself not only in this deed of the flesh, which takes away self-control, but then giving in to other areas of the flesh because your resistance is weakened because you're not under the control of the Spirit. You're under the control of, of something else. Uh, many a person has had their life and witness destroyed by actions taken while yielding full control of their reasoning and priorities to alcohol or some other drug. And in that time, done something that destroys relationships, marriages, reputations, you name it. Paul says the flesh is going to lead you there. Don't yield control. Uh, Ephesians also talks about this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. <clears throat> and it connects it with the Spirit. It contrasts it with the Spirit when it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. See the contrast? You can give yourself over to alcohol. Don't do it. Give yourself over to drugs. Don't do it. Give yourself over to dominating practices. Don't do it. He says, for that is dissipation. Kind of an interesting word. We don't use that word much. Literally, it means that which can't save. It's the word for not and the word for save. You give yourselves over that, thinking it's going to get you through, thinking it's going to help you, that, that it can't save you. It's a fake, false savior. It's a deed of the flesh going there. Instead, be filled up. Let your life be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, filled with his word, filled with loving, through love, serving others. And so as, as this all comes together, this list of the deeds of the flesh, remember back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, we've come to this end each of the three weeks we've been on this, but I want you to go one more time. He says, and things like this, so this is not an exhaustive list. There are many other things, other sins that your, your, your old patterns want you to fall back into. But he says, of which I've forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if that's what characterizes your life, it may be that you're showing you really aren't a son 
of God, like we heard about back in Galatians 4, 6, and 7. Let's read that one more time. We've done this the last two weeks as well. But he says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of, of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Are you acting? Are you living like an adult son who is going to inherit to have a share in what his father has? Does that, is that what your life looks like? When it doesn't look like, life doesn't look like what we want it to look like, do we patiently wait for him, trusting him that he knows what's going on and what to do? It's a time of opportunity when we recognize those patterns in our lives that don't fit. An opportunity to turn them, those areas back over to the Lord, to listen to Him, to allow Him to change those patterns. And to not live, talking about it's not living like a son, to not live like the two sons in, in Luke chapter 15. I'm trusting that you know the story that's commonly called the prodigal son. Um, I'm not going to take the time to read it right now. It's fairly lengthy. But you remember the one son who said, Father, give me my inheritance now. Well, he was a son. He had, a, had an inheritance coming. How did he view his inheritance? Well, he saw it as something to bring him satisfaction of his lusts and desires right now. That's what he valued what his father had for that will get me what I want now. It'll let me do what I want. It'll let me live like I want. It'll let me just have the things I think are best right now. And that was wrong. Okay? That's giving place to the flesh if it's in our lives. But there was another son in that story as well. There was a son that stayed there and he worked hard and he said, I've always been here and I've always done all of the things that you told me to do. And that's living by the flesh, too, because he thought that he was owed the inheritance. He thought the things that he did, that meant that those things were his, and he should be able to hold on to them. And they shouldn't be given to someone else. Oh, it sounds like jealousy, right? Sounds like envy. Don't live like that kind of son, either. He, he had, yes, taken on the hard work ethic of the father, of his father, right? He had learned how to work on the, on the family ranch, you could say. But was he living as a partner with his father? No, he was an adult son, and yet he was saying, well, there's dad's rules. Keep that rule, keep that rule, keep that rule. When he was, had been invited in to be a partner, to be a participant, along with and to join in the vision what his father had. And that's really the bottom line about this whole idea of the flesh and the spirit. We're called to, to walk according to the spirit. In other words, join into the relationship with our father and the things he's doing and the plans he has. And order your life, not because your father has a list of rules, but because you're saying, hey, I'm getting what you're doing here, Lord. And it's really good. It's way better than the things I wanted to do when I was a little kid and just go play. It's so much better than when I was a teenager and I just wanted to, to have my own way. Now, as a believer, he's saying, 
You're an adult son. You share in the inheritance. God welcomes you into the things he's doing. And so the things you choose to do should go along with that kind of relationship. When we delight ourselves in God and make him the first priority to know and to experience, we get to know his heart. When that happens, the things that are born out of sinful patterns and passions don't just become forbidden, they become foreign. They become sad counterfeits. When we experience the familiar and truly blessed life of walking with the Father and the Son by the Spirit, we walk together also with others who are doing the same thing. And we can join with them and enjoy the things that come out of the Spirit, not out of the flesh. And we can encourage each other in doing the things that are best, not the things that just fulfill our desires. And we can find out that everything is changing day by day into a good life that really can only be understood and experienced by joining in and watching it, watching it grow, watching it deepen, watching it change, even as we recognize, oh, there's still, there's still that pattern in my life, Lord. Help me. Brothers and sisters, come alongside me. This has got to go, because it's keeping me from what's best. Walk of the Spirit. But of course, that's only the negative side, right? Well, it's not really, but we still have to include what the Spirit is growing within us, the fruit, the product, product of having the Spirit in our lives. And that's where we get to go next. So, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You help us to examine by your Spirit and your Word our hearts to get rid of those things that are, are causing so much trouble, that are, are so contrary to your plan. Help us to, again, to, to see it not as, oh, here's, here's the, uh, the big mean authority, but uh, here's our great, amazing, awesome, holy, loving Father who has things for us that are so good we can't even begin to imagine. And help us to join in fully. Uh, to, to be so interested in listening to your spirit that, that we're, we're rooting out sins and we're letting your spirit add new dimensions to the good things in our lives every day. Thank you that you've welcomed us into such an amazing life. Uh, help us to want more. Help us to have a deep hunger to know you, uh, to worship you, and to, to cooperate along in all the things that you are doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.